0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Awakening Podcast. I'm Colleen Stanley, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephen Rosen. And we're going to tackle that age-old challenge of bridging the knowing and doing gap in sales leadership. And this month, we'll be focused on building excellence and really how to have a blockbuster sales year versus, well, what we'd call a lackluster sales year. So Stephen, I'm gonna kick the conversation ball over to you to get this started. How do we really get a, a year set up for excellence?
1: Well, Colleen, the first place we're gonna start is, it's the people, stupid, where we confront the critical issue facing many sales leaders. Evaluating if you have the right team, to start the new year and have a strong year. We'll examine the reasons why sales leaders are hesitant to address non-performers. The essential skills your team is missing and the tough decisions regarding when to cut those poor performers off. Colleen, what are your thoughts? Well, this is
0: interesting because you and I have both been in sales management, so we're going to uh, admit right off the bat that we are not perfect, but we've made some of these mistakes, and one of our goals was to help other leaders maybe avoid those. So here's a mistake I've made. I have hung on to non-performers too long. In fact, when you asked me the question, would you hire them again? I'd say no. Well, then why was I hanging on to them? So from your perspective, why do sales leaders hang on to non-performers too long?
1: Well, I guess there's many reasons, right? And that's kind of the elephant in the room that we want to, we want to address on our inaugural podcast. And, you know, the fact is, I guess we all do that. And the closer we are to people, the harder it is to make those tough calls. When you're a level of true remove, it's like, okay, this person's not performing. It's more of a, a paper issue as opposed to having to deal with the individual. But, oh, wait
0: a minute. You got to stop there. So it's a paper issue. And when you're close to them, it's a people issue. I think that's a really good distinction. Mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, and I've always said, you know, the higher up you are, the easier it is to make those decisions because you're not close to the people. So sometimes leaders have trouble addressing their leadership team because they have a relationship. So certainly that's part of it. Sometimes the challenge is you've just got through a difficult year. You're going on to the next year. But you have people who haven't performed and now, in my opinion, The ideal time to start looking at your team, just like any sports team at the beginning of the year or starting a new season, do you have the right people? Do they have the right skills? And the beautiful thing is you have a year's worth of performance to look at. You've had a year's worth of discussions. So even though we're starting a new year, it's a great time to review and decide if you have the right people on the bus and are they in the right positions. So those are some of the reasons. And I guess if I were to ask you, what are the soft skills that should be cultivated in sales teams to ensure that you do have a blockbuster year?
0: So that's a big question. And there's a lot of skills you could evaluate here. One that I would encourage every sales leader that's listening or watching today is including this question in your evaluation. And there could be qualitative data, quantitative data to support this. But the question is, are you coachable? and ah, you know, I it, love it. Yeah, it, it's a great question and uh, I recently read a book titled The Trillion Dollar Coach and it was about Bill Campbell and he coached the likes of all the uh, Silicon Valley Titans, right? And so there's a very funny story where he was getting ready to qualify his next executive coaching client and the gentleman was being a little cocky and Bill Campbell asked him the question, "Are you coachable?" And the Potential candidate not realizing he was actually being qualified, flippantly said, Well, it depends on the coach. And Bill Campbell gets out to walk out. And so it, it, it's such a great story, but think about this. If all of us would simply look at that soft skill and we can unpack that a little bit and only hire and work with coachable people, how much easier would our jobs be? Right. Yeah. Now, what I find is when you're looking at coachability, is the EQ skill of self-regard. And that's actually this inner confidence to admit your strengths and weaknesses. Now, we're all gonna get a little defensive, maybe we'll get feedback, but if you're a truly confident person, you will embrace feedback, take it and use it. So I would say that coachability, which is self-regard. One more is probably resiliency. And I gotta tell you, we've all said you have to have a thick skin to be in sales, but it's getting tougher. The world is moving faster. And so if you're not developing your team's resiliency skills, which really involves locus of control, sometimes it's simply controlling what you can control, because if you have these people with external locus of control, they're always complaining. I have a bad territory. I don't get enough. I don't get enough coaching. So resilient salespeople and how you develop that is teach your team to focus on what I can control. Quit whining and complaining about things that are totally out of your control. So coachability is big, resiliency huge.
1: I, I'm with you. And you know what? I, I ask the same questions when I take on coaching clients or, or if someone's a, a senior sales executive says, can you coach my leadership team? The first question I ask is, are they coachable? Because as a sales manager, as a coach, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And if they're open to coaching, wow, well, I can help them big time. Absolutely. on how open they are and, and the sales managers, you can ask the question, but in most cases, the sales manager knows the answer. After at least one year with an individual, aren't they coachable? Because with coaching and someone who's open, you could help them improve their skill sets.
0: Yeah, but here's a blind spot, I think. And I gained this information from Dr. Henry Cloud. His And it'll lead to one of the questions I want to ask you today. And the book was titled Unnecessary Endings. And so what happens, and Stephen, I'd be curious if you've observed this. Really good leaders, sales leaders, they're hyper-responsible. So what happens is when somebody's failing, it's my responsibility. I didn't give them enough training. I didn't give them enough coaching. Would you give them enough resources? Now I started in business in a startup and you basically got one day of training and then you were enrolled in the go get them. Good luck program. And so when I see this hyper responsibility popping up, that actually is a great thing because they care, but they care a little too much where they're accepting excuses. So. I don't know if you've observed that behavior with some of the sales leaders you work with.
1: Oh, 100% because many of us feel that we can fix people. Yes, yes. You know, if only I just did this, I'm going to give them another three months. I'll I'll coach them, I'll help them. At the end of the day, when coaching sales managers where they have performance issues or or people who just don't fit their team, I'm very direct, Colleen. And usually I'll ask them, the Stephen Covey approach to the world is begin with the end in mind. Is this the person that should be on your team? Right. And, you know, as we kick off a year, 100%, we should coach people and help them grow and be better. But in most cases, it weighs heavy on us, but we know the answer. And as you said, sometimes we put it on ourselves. Performance is owned by the individual, Right. right? not by the manager. Right. And in terms of teachings and coaching managers, to me, it's about shifting the accountability to the individual, right. And putting it on their shoulders to perform. You can support, you can coach, you can bring resources to the table, but ultimately it's up to the individual. And and most salespeople, if you ask them, you know, do you like being an individual contributor? The answer is yes. But are you accountable to delivering on performance? And in many cases, the manager takes it upon their shoulders. And they're accepting of modest performance and think that they can fix the individual. And I, I think, that, I, I mean, it's great. They're caring, as you said. But in most cases, they're actually perpetuating a situation or, or holding on to someone where maybe it's time to cut the, the umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. And it's up to the individual to, to perform, not the manager to, to make excuses. And that, that, that's it comes down to who owns their performance, who owns their attitude. Training is kind of jointly owned, right? Where the, the individual is responsible for their own development, as well as the manager assumes responsibility. But when it comes to effort and performance, to me, that's clearly owned by the individual. So if it's not happening, you can bring a horse to water, but you ultimately can't make them drink. And that's where the coachability comes in.
0: You can put in flavoring, you can add <laughs> a little, but they're just not drinking that water. So that's yeah. a, I think that's an interesting self-awareness point for sales leaders is who's driving the performance? Because I have to tell you, if you take your foot off the gas and then the person falls apart, well, number one, either that person isn't capable, doesn't have the buy-in. So I think that's a great point there. Which, which leads me to my next question. Is there an ideal time to either reassign someone to a different role, sometimes we make that mistake, or simply escort them nicely off of what Jim Collins called get the right people on the bus? So any I- thoughts on that? Is there an yeah.
1: ideal... I mean, maybe the best answer is if someone's not performing, how long do you give them to, not, to, to continue to perpetuate that lack of performance? And I guess the beginning of the year, is it an ideal time? Probably, I don't know, is there an ideal time? I, I, I think it's close to the non-performance because you don't want to hang on to it. We've, we've already gone through 2023. If someone hasn't performed, you probably should have backed it upon them sooner. Mm-hmm. But you can't change the past. So in terms of my thought process, now is probably a good time. If you think of any professional sports team, the beginning of the year, you assess whether you have the right players to win the championship, to make your numbers. So I guess in terms of it's about the people, it really is about the people. And I think the first question to kick off any year is, do I have the right people on the bus? And if you don't, and you haven't made that decision, Earlier on, well, you can't change the past, but if you want to have a good year, the longer you wait with non-performers and I'm sorry that I'm being, you know, more challenging, but if you're sitting on them, then you're you're doing yourself and your team a disjustice. So, you know, as they say, the best time to plant a tree is now. So the, the best time to make those calls, this is a good time to assess at the beginning of a year, right? You have maybe some time to think over Christmas and then do I have the right people? If not, You're better to make that change sooner than later. Well,
0: you know what's interesting about this is the sales leaders is, we know Q4 is hugely important, right? So you're actually working on two goals, Q4 goals, Q1. So we've got our teams out prospecting. So the question I would ask everyone that's in that sales leadership role, are you prospecting for top talent? Because I suspect the reason that they're holding on to non-performers is the same reason that salespeople hold on to non-qualified prospects. You don't have enough in the pipeline. So what's your key performance metrics for interviewing people? Even if you don't have the seat open, we've all heard this before. So the curiosity point for me is we teach our salespeople to be prospecting consistently, but we're not maybe doing it as sales leaders empty sales pipelines, then lead to desperation. So we're holding on to non-performers and rationalizing. I suspect that's behind some of that lack of movement.
1: I, I love that point. And, the, you know, when I was a sales leader, part of my commitment was that I could ramp up in three months and have double the size of my team. Mm-hmm. I, and I was always nervous I'd be called upon to do that uh, if we cut a deal for an additional product. But most managers don't do proactive recruiting. And I know they're all busy sourcing, spend time coaching, spend time managing performance, spend time with your customers, but, but the recruitment part, especially if you have some poor performers knowing that you can upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. That There are people out there who can step in and do a better job is good. But the only way you're going to know that is if you're having coffees with people on an ongoing basis, seeing what the marketplace has. So if you were to ask me, Stephen, what percentage do you, or let me ask you, Colleen, what percentage of managers do you feel, and this is probably more of a gut feel, actually do that?
0: Uh, my gut feel, and probably could yes. back it up with some data, but my gut feel is not enough. And it's, and it's for the reason they are busy. And so this is one that can fall into that delayed gratification bucket. So you have to do it before the event happens. And Stephen Covey was great about this quadrant too, important, not urgent. And as crazy as it sounds, recruiting is hugely important, but guess what? The other fires are burning. You've got operations issues. You've got to go out and do the visits. You've got uh, clients that are maybe evaluating, should we stay with you? And so it's, again, it's a classic example of the knowing and doing it, because this is not new knowledge. Always be recruiting, always be expecting. So you got to dig a little deeper And, you know, maybe what needs to happen in organizations is the sales managers need to have someone they're accountable to. So their key performance metric is it rolls up to whoever the boss is. And I've conducted X amount of interviews. I've conducted exploratory coffees. And so a lot of times, frankly, they're not being held accountable to the activities that are going to make them successful. And all of us are better with accountability in place.
1: You know what? You're right. And, you know, in our next episode, we'll we'll be talking about your sales leadership team, but but those are, those are some key metrics. I call it proactive recruiting. Absolutely. You you know, seeing, you know, it's kind of like having bench strength that, you know, you can go down and and find somebody. It it does make it easier to, to address your non-performer or to pull the plug And that's kind of the elephant in the room. When do you address it? And in many cases, if there is pressure from the top, sales managers, like everybody else, we all take the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. And I know always one of the biggest challenges when, when I'm coaching folks is I'll have more time to do stuff once I have a full team. But How are you going to get a yeah, full team if you're sure.
0: prospecting?
1: <laughs> and I always say the reality of sales leadership is you never have a full team. There's there's always pieces that, 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 that can be changed. So I, I guess I encourage The folks who are listening, who are in those positions, if you think that someone doesn't really belong on your team, you you, you need to get moving now because it's going to hurt you later in the year. So regardless of how you did last year, if you blew your numbers away, if you just made it, or if you struggled, now is really a time to look and see who the right people are. And maybe you can help because how do you distinguish, between who are the learners, who can, who can move forward, and who are the laggards in your team?
0: It's easier. It really is easier said. I think we don't even have to sit there and go, God, how do I determine that? I mean, it is called, it's reality testing 101. Learners, are, they're showing you the behaviors. And what I've seen with some of my best sales leaders and salespeople, they're reading. And they don't say goofy things like, I don't like to read because I can't focus. Seriously, if you can't focus to read a book, I'm really troubled for you running a call that lasts for 60 minutes, right? They're listening to podcasts. They're, they consume content and do something with it. And so in the EQ world, it's called self-actualization. They're on a journey, constant journey of personal and professional improvement. And I believe moving forward, just like resiliency, this is a uh, no option behavior. Because the world is changing. We were lucky to hear Dr. Nadia. She's got a very long last name, but she runs the Reinvention Academy, and she's got some great data. One piece of data was this. 20% of the companies are going to have to reinvent every year. If you have people that don't like learning, they haven't uh, developed the habit of learning, your company is going to get left behind. And I hate to be really blunt, but if you hire laggard, you know, the people that don't have time, and they just don't even... They're not juiced by learning. Well, here's the reality: the longer they work for you, the dumber they get. Uh, you're,
1: I love it. Right? But, but here's the question: I, I mean, I've worked with companies that have salespeople that have like fit all the, the qualities that we brought out. Number mm-hmm. one, they're not self-developing. They've been in the role for 25 okay. years. They're not coachable. They don't want to be coached. Although I do believe they are, they, they can be coached if, if the manager has that persistence and they just basically manage their customers and people leave, leave them out because they, somehow it's not maybe a, a fast changing environment mm-hmm. where they can hum along and have the book of business that they can continue, but you're you missing many of the skills. So, so what do you suggest we do with those folks?
0: This is one where you can almost speak out of both sides of your
1: mouth. <laughs> okay. Yeah, hey, just... Really?
0: And it depends on the industry, it depends on your competitor, because if you have a very aggressive competitor, all of a sudden, what I'd call these legacy reps that are really managing a big book of business, they got lots of knowledge and expertise, they're not costing you money because you worked out your compensation package, right? So they that, and and you've got your territory and account management, you don't keep giving them new opportunities, you send that over to your new or younger sellers there. But the fact is, you got to be very careful because if the competition changes and starts going after their business and they haven't maybe been upgrading the skills, the knowledge, expertise, uh, then you're going to start seeing that territory sink. But there are times where I say, you know what, if they are writing the business, they should just let them go. Just trying to assign them new business. They're not going to do it. And that might be where you have to develop a whole different structure inside salespeople, BD, account executives, customer support, and such. But I, I get a little nervous for any legacy rep at this point because of how fast the world is changing.
1: You know, that's a great point. I do know some clients who just kind of leave them be. But I think there's, there's a nuance there that you brought out that is profound, that you don't feed them new business. You let, mm-hmm. them, you let them manage their book assuming it's a from a product development perspective or competitive perspective, that it's pretty constant in terms of things aren't changing every six months, that, that you leverage them where their strengths are. So it's so such so a nuance. They may not be your most coachable people and and likelihood is they don't wanna be coached at this point in their career. Legacy reps, that's, that's a great way of describing it. I call it tenure, but legacy is actually, I'll use that word going forward. They're probably not reading new books, they're probably focused on other things and, and feel they've been there and done that. But, but it, it does stagnate, I think, the business where you, you don't have that growth mindset.
0: Well, and that's where they need, to, their goals are not going to be this new business development. I see this happening all the time. They should open up new business. They're not going to, okay? Just stop.
1: <laughs> yeah. They
0: should be growing that existing. And so that's where if you've got lines of business that that legacy rep isn't opening up consistently year after year, they're being ignored. Well, you might as well just get a little platter full of brownies and give them to the competitor because we'll say, listen, we're not going after these lines of business. And we've all, if you've been in sales long enough, the minute a good competitor gets in there with one line of business into your account, they start servicing. Then they're starting to upsell, expand and land as whatever the word is. Yeah. That's the caution you have. They must have sales goals that expand that that existing business. So that's where the growth is going to come from.
1: Interesting. Interesting. And in some cases, I've dealt with one client that, that they had very high market share. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but you're right. You also want to make sure that you're maintaining your business. You're not letting a competitor sneak in, get the old toe in the door, right? That you're constantly sharp and keeping an eye on your business.
0: Oh, absolutely. I was a toe in the door rep because I begin in business with a startup where we had no business. And then because the existing competitor got very complacent and we get one line of business, we'd service the heck out of them, then we'd start getting another line of business. And pretty soon we were the Goliath in the industry. So I've seen it happen firsthand. So, so be careful on that. So Stephen, I'm, I'm curious here. So you're getting ready for the new year. How do you know if you have the right composition on your team? And I don't even know if that's the right question to ask, but how do you know you have the right team going, going forward?
1: Well, part of it is every year is new, right? In terms of expectations, in terms of where you're focused in your product line. Do you have new products coming out? And even how your go-to-market strategy is. Mm -hmm. So I I really believe it's important to do some skills assessment. One is, first assessment is, what do you need to be successful? Right? What are the skill sets you need to be successful Mm -hmm. this year or in the future as the business goes forward? So this small gap of time between Q4 ending and Q one starting. And I always used to joke it's Christmas time, although people want it to take off and it's important to recharge, you want to be thinking about that as maybe just as January hits, do you have the right skills for what your future needs are? Right. Okay. I'm so
0: gonna... I think you just said it, future needs. So if you keep looking back, if yeah. I'm talking right, if you keep looking back. That might be fine to up- upgrade those skills, but maybe those aren't the skills needed. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, 100%. Well, what, what
0: <laughs> Can you give an example of that? I'm curious, because I think that's a really good way of raising okay.
1: it. So, So let's say you had an acquisition into a new market. Okay. Right. And you're using the same sales organization. Maybe it's the same customers, but it might be different people you're selling to. You might be moving from old technology, which you still want to sell, to a brand new segment. Do you have the skills to open those doors, Mm -hmm. right? Do do you have the capability to learn the product line? It may be very different. And then the question becomes, the ultimate question is, do you have the right people? So it doesn't mean you fire them. You might need to retrain them. You may need to start looking at your hiring criteria and who are you hiring going forward so that adapts to where your market's going to be. It's the old sort of Wayne Wayne Gretzky approach where, you don't want to go where the puck is. You want to go where the puck is going to be, right? Which takes a bit of forethought from senior leadership as well as to how are we evolving our business and what people are we going to need to sell successfully in the future? Now, maybe some of the same skill sets we talked about, coaching ability, resiliency, but there may be some technical skills that you need to look at as well. If it's new markets, you know, if it's prospecting skills.
0: Technical skills. Somebody literally may not have the appetite for it, right? So they're not very passionate or they're just really having trouble getting their arms around it. So you may need to have sales engineers that you give more of a different type of training to. So they can, I'm guessing they can just wrap their head around the technical knowledge, but then they can't read the room. So I think that future skill, I suspect that's the one that's missing out there a lot. And who's the decision makers and and maybe just some basic blocking and tackling. You need a new value proposition for all of these new set of buyers out there. And I see a lot of people just going out with a one size fits all value prop. I mean, this is kind of one-on-one and we all know it, but we don't do it. Again, the knowing and doing
1: it. 100%, there is a gap there. And you know, even sort of coming back to, it's really about the people. It's the people are gonna drive your organization. I used to have a boss that said, if you take care of the people issues, the business takes care of itself. Absolutely. Ultimately, do you have the right people for today and for tomorrow? How do we help them? How do we help them get better? And then sometimes you just got to, I think you have an expression, a a poker expression, which which, uh, you may want to share. Oh, you you. know
0: when to hold them or when to fold them? You You got it. it. You got it. it.
1: Exactly. Right. and And that's kind of the elephant in the room because that's hard to do if you're closer to those individuals. So- Uh, Colleen, I I think we've had some really good discussion and uh, part of our goal is to make sure that we can offer some actionable next steps for people who watch our podcast. And do you have any advice for our audience in terms of how to really uh, ensure that you're going to have a great year because you have the right people in the right seats?
0: I I think my piece of advice is going to segue from what you said is, you know, often as a sales leader. We get very focused on setting the sales goal and we do really good territory and account management. So that's all really important. However, what we don't do is back up and determine the learning goals. Now within those learning goals, there could be hard skills. Like you mentioned, Stephen. there might be new technical skills, new product knowledge. It could be those consultative sales skills, how to navigate through an even bigger enterprise because they just got acquired, right? Or they acquired a company. But then what I see missing, and this is obviously the, world I playing a lot, are the soft skills. And so you might have the smartest person in the room, but they can't read the room. So they're, they're not getting deals across the line because of lack of empathy. You might have a person from a soft skill side lacking assertiveness. So now they're in big enterprise sales, but they lack the assertiveness to uh, gain meetings with all the buying influences. And then in some businesses, it can be simply emotion management. You know, I am married to a great negotiator. Okay. <laughs> but guess what? You're in
1: trouble. <laughs> Good negotiators
0: negotiate. Well, if you, you could, and you there's some great negotiating skills workshops out there. But if your salespeople get emotionally triggered when they're mm. in negotiations, n- they can't use the smart part of their brain. So set the sales goals and then set the hard skills goals, but don't forget the soft skills learning goals. Learning goals will help your salespeople hit the sales goals.
1: I think but, that's, yeah. that's phenomenal. We'll, we'll, let's create a, a learning organization where we're always developing. For, for me, some of it comes back down to fundamentals of sales leadership. And are you proactively managing performance? So are you having regular reviews to make sure your people are on track? If they're not on track, Are you taking corrective action to help them get better? Are you setting clear expectations? You talked about learning goals. To me, it's about development. Are you developing them? Are they willing to develop themselves? Which is critical in this day and age, because we all have access to the same information, right? You know, someone asked me about one of the things they wanted to do on, on having effective meetings. Yes. I said, have you, have you Googled that? Exactly. Yeah. I said, I bet if you Google top five things, I mean, I could tell you what I think, but you know, this is these are the things that I think are critical, have an agenda, whatever the case may be, stick to time. I said, just Google it and see what what Google has to say, right? What, what are the top five things to have more effective meetings? So we all have access to information, whether it be podcasts, as you suggested, reading books. I mean, books are not cost prohibitive. It's the time and the gray matter to do it but I really look to, to sales leaders that they are proactively managing performance. So we don't come at a point in time where we've had a non-performer that we've been carrying for three quarters. And, yeah. and now Steven's saying, well, you gotta act on those people. You should have acted two quarters ago at least, or maybe the third quarter ago. Look at your people at this point in time, decide whether they're the right people. If they are the right people, identify, as you said, what are their learning goals? Provide additional coaching, learning, training, to help them get better. That's sort of, I I think we're aligned in terms of the thinking, but to me, it does come back. It's not the manager's job to make the people better, but (laughs) you want to make sure that you're helping them and also having periodic reviews that issues don't linger for a long period of time. And when I say a long period of time. And I I know
0: we're going to be covering that on how to have those more difficult conversations. You just remind me of a, a sales manager I was working with and he had been a sales manager at LinkedIn. And it was interesting, at LinkedIn, part of their bonus was tied to the number of coaching meetings that they conducted and held. And so I thought that was very smart for the company. So it's not just giving lip service to coaching, they were tracking and measuring the coaching sessions. Now, again, you could talk about quality of the coaching session, but the fact is, he was not a hard person to convince that you needed to have the consistent coaching cadence. So maybe one again, take a look at the bigger picture. What are we compensating sales managers for? What do we? What kind of KPIs are we tracking for our sales leaders? Because we all do better with accountability. It's the reason Weight Watchers and many different programs are so popular. You've got accountability built in. One
1: hundred percent. And you picked upon what I'm passionate about is coaching people, and that is the role of the sales manager. And I think many organizations. I mean, kudos to LinkedIn. I feel better about paying my my annual fee now, but but kudos to LinkedIn that they're actually saying, hey, you know what, managers, this is important. We're either going to hold you accountable to this or what they're doing is putting a portion of their bonus on that. So they're putting their money where their mouth is. So Colleen, I have to say it's been a pleasure having this and I look forward to many more. And I just want to tell our listeners that the key is transformative action. is really the heart of leadership. We know what to do, but it's really about taking action. And that's really what we're focused on is the knowing, bridging that knowing versus doing gap. So take action, be proactive. Sometimes it's making the tough calls earlier. And if you like the podcast, I would ask you to subscribe because we have more great stuff coming. Thanks again, Colleen. Look forward to, to our next session, which we're going to talk about. Is it the leader or is it the salespeople? Thank you, everybody.
0: We'll leave you with that cliffhanger. Thanks, everyone.